0: Amen, you may take a seat. Uh, if you are new here today, my name is Mike, and I have the opportunity of overseeing our college ministry and our men's ministry, and I am thankful to be here with you today. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can meet me in Matthew 22. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. I'll have it on the screen, or if you need to look it up, Matthew 22, 34 to 40. And I've titled this, Some Things Are Worth Arguing About. And there are two types of people in this room, if you ask me, when it comes to arguing. There, is a few, there are a few of you where you really thrive on an argument. Uh, if you're like me, if you had a good argument that day, what? You had a good day. And there are some of you that you would rather die than have an argument. I mean, you just maybe you're kind of like my wife. The argument is just exhausting. But for me, at the end of the day, I'm kind of thankful. Uh, there are some things worth arguing about. Uh, for some of us, maybe it's country music. Is it a legitimate genre of music? And there's a group of you that would say, absolutely not. Or we could talk about, is Keith, Urb- Keith Urban, <laughs> is he a legitimate country singer? The answer is no, it is George Strait, the monarch. And there are some things that we could argue about, uh, and things that maybe we could talk about Netflix. Is Tiger King the most interesting show of all time? The answer is Yes, Carol Baskins is wild. My wife just told me she'll be on Dancing with the Stars plug. Anyway, um, there are some things that we'll argue about. And early on in my marriage, I could not discern what was worth arguing about. It was, it was kind of new for me. I had to learn some things, man, Mike, you you got to let it go. And some things, you got to tackle this head on. We were married for about a month, and uh, we had made dinner, and we had sat down. And little did I know, my wife had a phobia of flies. And I'm serious, it's a legitimate thing. Like, flies in the house, call 911, get the fire department in, get the, you know, the exterminators, like, everything, one fly. I grew up where I probably ate a bunch of flies in my dinner. I don't know. Like, my, I mean, we were at the barn and the farm, everything. Like, flies were just, I mean, we don't even know if they're in there or not. And so, anyway, this fly shows up and, you know, it's flying around. And all of a sudden, my wife is standing on top of the table with one of the, you know, claws. she's whipping this thing and hitting the lights and, like, I responded so godly. I said, what are you doing? You get down right now. And we talked about this the other day. She looked at me, and she was like, what are you looking at? Or I said to her, she said, what are you looking at? And I said, fine, I'll never look at you ever again. We started off on a strong foot month in in our marriage. Recently, last one, and we'll get started this morning, last one, uh, about a couple or two months ago, uh, we had bought a new car, Switch cars, I took the old one, she took the newer one. There were clothes in the back of the car, right? You got to put it in one of those bins, Salvation Army things. There's like four bags. And I was with my buddy and we had stopped. I was like, hey, we got to empty this trunk out real quick. And in the trunk, there's multiple things besides the bags, right? So simple, put the bags in there. But I was with my friend and he was like, hey, you sure? All this, I'm like, bro, clean it out. Just get rid of it all. And uh, later that night, I look at Hope and I said, hey, don't worry about the bags. I got rid of them. She looked at me, and she's like, Michael Kors? I was like, I don't know who your ex-boyfriend is, but I'm Michael Duma, and I put the bags away. And she was like, no, 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 the Michael Kors bag. I'm like, who the freak Michael Kors? I don't know. And so then she explained to me, gift from mom, a couple hundred dollars, bag, all these things. And she looks at me, and what does she say? Guess where you're going tomorrow? You're going to get that. I was like, I ain't, you know, I ain't, t- I'm not going to fit in there and get out. So long story short, didn't get the bag, didn't, you know, all these things, and now, a couple of weeks after, she will just look at me, and what does she do? Michael Kors. Michael Kors. Some things are worth arguing about. Some things are not worth arguing about. Uh, you will learn in marriage if you have not. Man, I'm still learning. We're four years in, and it is a grind. Some things you shouldn't argue about, and some things you should. Jesus is in the middle of an argument that is worth his time. Sometimes in the Gospels and in the Bible, there will be things that Jesus does not engage in because it's not an argument that's worth his time. It's something that is a waste for him. Some of you will remember in John 19, Pilate, what's he do? He asks Jesus a question Tell him who you are, this is the time. And it says, Jesus gave him no answer because he knew what authority he had. Sometimes Jesus would do a miracle, and it's like, hey, let's tell everyone. This is the time. Tell them who you are. And what does Jesus do? He sends his disciples away, and he says, hey, don't tell anyone. Sometimes he engages in an argument. But the thing that is important to know is this. Anytime Jesus steps into an argument or steps into a conversation, it is always to reveal a deeper matter, something in the heart. Jesus is always answering questions that you ask ones that you are actually concerned about. Sometimes you'll come to church or you'll read in the Bible and you're like, man, i got no idea what this says. I have no idea what this has to do with me. I don't understand any of this. In Matthew 22, Jesus just gets done telling a story about a wedding feast. He gets done, and man, you got questions about taxes and government, and he answers the question about the taxes. And then the Pharisees, all these religious guys get together, they ask him a question about what? Heaven. Man, if you got a question, it is what is heaven like and how do I get there? And then he jumps into this conversation right after he said, I am the God of the living, not the God of the dead, and they are astonished at his teaching. You ask questions that people in Jesus' day actually asked. In Matthew 19, 16, what's it say? Matthew 19, 16, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Maybe you've asked a question like that. What do I got to do to get into heaven? What good thing or good part of me must be true? Or in Luke 10, 29, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Maybe you have thought and you have asked God silently in your head, am I better than that guy? And, And if somebody has a better relationship with you, is it that person, is it me, depending on what I have done? Maybe you have asked questions like that. So this morning, what I'm going to do for the next couple of moments is walk through Matthew 22: 34 to 40 and talk about the kind of argument that Jesus is about. because I think that there is uh, obvious things in this passage. If you've ever been to church, if you' ever read the Bible, you ever listened to955 the Fish, Yeah, play, you're like, yeah. you you know what this passage says. There's some obvious implications to it. But connecting to last week how we talked about one accord and the unity that we need to have. Looking forward to the next three weeks, how we will talk about we're celebrating 25 years as a church, our past, our present, and our future. I have begun to believe that right now, more than ever, this passage could serve us really well. Because there are some times you should have an argument. There are some times you should step up and peacock and you know, fight them or whatever. And there are some times you should just be quiet. Sometimes you should just listen. And I think Jesus gives a lot of wisdom here. So the first point is this. The kind of argument that Jesus is about is with religious people against him. Verse 34 says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, real quick. Pharisees and Sadducees are two religious groups. Um, I mean, they got their stuff together, man. They look good, they play good, they feel good. I mean, religiously, they've done everything they need to do. And Jesus just had this argument with the Pharisees, now with the Sadducees. And here's what's taking place. Jesus is addressing religious people in Matthew 23, 27. He says that they are like, what, whitewashed tombs. And their bodies, are, or their inside, inside of them is like dead people's bones, I love that he says that. <laughs> so he's addressing these religious people, and they gathered together, or heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, and they gathered together. It's kind of like a little huddle. Um, have you ever, should have been in an argument, weren't in an argument, and then you come back in your car, or you're in the shower, and you're thinking about the argument, and you're like, oh man, if I could go back, I would have said this, she would have said that, I would have said this, and I would have smoked them. <laughs> they come back together, gather together, and what do they do? And one of them a lawyer. This is like you get your you get the best guy. You huddle up, you get Kyle Kramer out there, you get your people, you get the Humphreys of the world, you kind of get them all in one circle and you're like, "All right, who's the best? Who's the guy that can reason well? Who's got the knowledge? Who's got the skill? Who's got the wisdom?" And you're like, "All right, let's send them out 1v1." Like, let's just get them out, let's send them out just like you did in preschool preschool. In elementary playing basketball, you send out your best guy to fight the fight or whatever. This is what they're doing amen, asked him a question to test him. So what they are doing is what a lot of us have done. Sometimes you will ask a question simply to test someone, and a a lesson here is this. You usually don't change someone's mind when they're out to test you. You don't change someone's mind when they're out to test you. If someone is simply trying to put you to the test, make you look stupid, try and do blah, 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 you normally don't win, and I want to make an application here and a plug. Um, Jesus engages in this argument when they have approached him. And I understand in today's day and age, I mean, we are just bold as a lion on social media platforms. Like we're just, I mean, we're monsters. We got our verses and all these things. And then when it comes to a face-to-face conversation, we have not much to say. And if our only pursuit is to question people or to make them look stupid or to get in an argument to prove our point, I have yet in eight years of following Christ sat in here and watched baptisms, and someone said, "Man, they posted something on Facebook," and then they yelled at me, and then they quoted nine verses, and I was just, and then they said I was stupid and I'm I'm, I'm ignorant, and then I got saved boom, No, that never has <laughs> happened. Um, so, in the pursuit of seeking to test someone, you're probably not going to win them over. Second thought is this. Do you ask questions to get the answer or to prove your point? If you come to Jesus, or you're seeking to question him, and you simply ask a question, not to get the answer, but just to simply prove your point, you will never change your heart. You won't change your mind. You won't change your perspective. And when you come, what do we? How do we come? Usually, this is what I already know. This is what I've experienced, and this is what I believe. And then we'll ask a question, almost to make someone look stupid. And this is what they're doing to our man Jesus. Let's test him. Let's put him to the test let's question him in front of all of these people we just talked about the wedding we just talked about taxes he blew it again we just talked about heaven he didn't answer the question how we thought and he they approach him to test him in verse 41 after all this takes place jesus then asks them a question who do you say that i am when we approach Jesus with questions, like I said, it is so much more than just the surface. He is trying to get to the heart, and he engages it when religious people are against him. Number two, when he, or the kind of argument Jesus is about is when someone seeks clarity to his word. Verse 36, teacher, have you ever approached someone and given them enough accolades only to earn respect in the moment, but you didn't really believe it? So it's kind of like you know a guy is a doctor, he's been in school for 90 years, and you're like, hey, doctor so-and-so. Hey, the smart guy, or you'll approach someone just to earn some respect, but you don't really believe it. That is what they're doing. Teacher. Some people would say Jesus is just a good teacher. He's a good philosopher. He's done some good stuff. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? I love that question. Give me the cliff notes, man. I want to see the short. Because if we're honest, man, this is just a long book. Some of you, you're like, it ain't long enough. Some of you are like, I don't even know what's in there. And when he says, he says, what is the greatest commandment? What kind of commandments is he talking about? Is it the 10? I mean, as a pastor, I kind of get, you know, jumbled up on five to eight. I kind of forget them sometimes. Is it the 10? Is it the 613 in the Mosaic Law? Like, shoot, man, I broke those before I even opened my eyelids. Is it the 1,050 commandments in the whole Bible? You're like, it's Labor Day, man. i got to get on the boat. What are you talking about commandments, he's saying, which is the greatest commandment? And I love that he asked this question because it's a question that you would ask. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. He is not asking this question because they don't think he knows the answer. They know that he knows. He's Jesus. They know he knows Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, it says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your soul, and all with your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hands, and they shall be as frontlets. Whatever that is between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He already knew what this was. Why are they asking the question? Because Jesus did a lot of stuff that was against their laws in their mind. Majority morality. In your mind, you have things that should be true because you're really good at them. They should already be a law because it's what you excel at. And he's asking that question what is the law? What is the commandment? And Jesus already knows Deuteronomy 6. Why is he asking this question? He's trying to expose him, to trick him, to test him in front of all these people. And I love what Jesus answers, and we'll get to that in a minute. But a lot of times, there are two camps here. There's the one camp where we talk about greatest commandment, and all of you are like, what do I got to do? Tell me what to do. I'll do it right now. Just tell me what I got to do, God. And in John 5, 39, Jesus says this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is that they bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Commandments do not serve in and of themselves as life they serve as a way to life and Jesus or in Psalm 16:11 it says you make known to me the path of life and in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore why do we talk about commandments even though there's only one or two we talk about commandments because they are leading us into greater joy Whenever there's a commandment in the Bible, God is not trying to steal from you, to take from you, to make life harder for you, to make things more miserable for you. You wish you could do this or watch this or do this or go here. Why would God take from me? He is trying to extend life to you. And we don't search the scriptures to find life in them, but rather that they lead us to Christ. The kind of argument Jesus is about is when someone seeks clarity to his word. He's not walking around part of the the Bible police patrol magnifying glass club where you kind of want to make sure everyone's as obedient as you. You better be as good as me because I'm really good. You better be as good as me because it's what I do. Someone is asking him a question. And when someone asks him a question, what's he do? He provides clarity. Number three, the kind of argument Jesus is about is about himself and personal for us. Verse 37 And he said to him, Jesus, you, insert your name. I love that he doesn't say your neighbor. I love that he doesn't say your coworker. I love that he doesn't say your spouse. I love that he doesn't say your kids. I love that he says you, because he makes it personal. Sometimes when we have questions about the Bible or questions about God. It's to justify or to get on someone that we know that said something, that did something. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm coming right back at you. You shall love the Lord your God with your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. He makes it personal, and it's about himself. How is it about himself? Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus said, The Father and I are one. He is God in the flesh. And when He is saying, You shall love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and your mind, He is saying, You need to love Me. And He brings it right back home to us. He says, Michael needs to worry about Michael. I need to stay in what? My lane. He brings it right back at us, and he says, You shall love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and in Mark twelve thirty, it's heart, soul, mind, and strength. When you love God with your heart, what is it? It's your affection. It's your being. It's who you are, that you would love him with your heart, with your soul, That you would love him with all that you are. It's your mind. We don't have a blind, ignorant faith. It is connected to deep, historical, actual facts that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. That you would use your mind and your strength. Not that you can back squat 405, but that you actually use your effort that you would use all that you are, that you want to. now, notice this. it doesn't say "strength, mind, strength, mind, soul and heart." Why? Because if you seek to love God with just your strength before your heart, you won't actually love Him. Because what is Jesus after? He's after your heart. And if you want to love Jesus, give him your heart. Don't give him your obedience. Sometimes in our pursuit to love God, when we hear, okay, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. A lot of you will say, what do I have to start? What do I have to stop? What do I have to do? And we think of it in the sense of doing more things for God. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. I want your heart. Because when you give someone your heart, they have everything. If I seek to simply do things for my wife, but I don't love her, she'll sniff that out so quick. She'll know, why are you just doing this? Once wants our heart. And when he approaches the question, he says, you love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He makes it personal for us and about himself. Number four, the kind of argument Jesus is about is when we're to love others. Again, super sweet principle here taught. Um, You know those people who give you unsolicited advice all the time? You know what I'm talking about. You're like yeah, man, my mom drives me nuts. You, you have this person in your mind, not my mom, my mom's a saint, you know that. Like, there's these people in your mind where you ask a question. Hey, do you think, what do you think I should do in this situation? What do they do? Man, they just lay it on. Well, I'm glad you asked, because I have some stuff to say, and they just lay it on and on and on and on. Jesus, he don't, he don't play like that often. He don't do that. He do that. He does not do that. Um, what he does is he answers the question, and the only time in this passage when he makes it about, he gives extra advice is when he makes it about someone else. Is when we're to love others. Verse 39. And the second is like it, because the man did not say, hey, what are the first two? He said, what? What's the greatest? And Jesus said, the first one's this. The second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, because I'm an extreme guy, there's two extremes. There's a portion of you who are like, Man, I love myself. I look good. I sound good. I'm good, man. I love. Pe- you want me to love people? That's tough because I love myself a lot. There's that camp. And I know you're out there. Don't, don't play dumb like that. And then there's the other camp where, God help you, you don't love yourself at all. You hate yourself. You don't have even a healthy, they're, they're both wrong and they're both extremes. How are we to love ourselves as God would view us? That how, how does God view us? Made in the image of God, created for a purpose, intentional, specific, that you would have the right view of self so you could love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So thankful he says that. Does that not mean I don't read the other commandments or seek to obey those commandments? No, that's not what that means. It means the first four commandments out of the ten are if you love God, you will obey them. And the last six, if you seek to love your neighbor as yourself, you already got them. You're like, kill yourself, adultery, da-da-da, like those ones. Like when you seek to love your neighbor as yourself, they take care of themselves. It's when we're to be loving now, because I think this is, I'm going to try and get real practical in the next couple of minutes as we kind of finish this out. But it says in Proverbs 10, uh, 19, says this, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. The preacher's sin. Sometimes you got to remind yourself that people don't like to listen as much as you like to talk. I have to tell myself that on a daily basis. They don't like to listen as much as you like to talk. All right, let's preach. Um, you have to remind yourself because Why? Every, every married person in here knows that if you truly love your spouse, you what? You don't just say it, you do something. It produces action. It produces change. That if we are to be loving to others, it's not just intellectual and it's not just facts, but rather it produces something in us. And so I want to end and kind of close out here with four things or maybe four helpful tools uh, in seeking to love God by loving our neighbor. Number one is this. You need to ask yourself the question, what opportunities are in front of me? What opportunities are in front of me? Because when we talk about neighbor, some of you may say, well, who's my neighbor? I got Kirk here. I got Laverna here. These are real people. I got Brian here. I forget his wife's name. I forget them, but I know who they are. Um, And I'm trying to ask myself the question. I got John and Abby over there. Are those my neighbors, or is it the person that I run 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 into at the grocery store? Who who is my neighbor? This neighbor. Um, In Luke 10, Jesus tells a story when the person asked, "Who is my neighbor?" He says, is it this person, is it this person, is it this person? He tells a story. Some man falls off. You've heard the story before. Some man, a, a guy falls off on the way to work, and as so, everything had kind of fallen apart. The Levite walked by. This person walked by. This person walked by. And as they were walking by, only the person who stopped, what, the Good Samaritan, and he did something for them. It says he showed mercy. You have to ask God if you're seeking to love God by loving your neighbor, what opportunities are in front of me? Kinsley loves this. Number two, give more grace than you think you should. Colossians 4, 6, that we would be present, oh God help me, and we would be gracious. We would be present and gracious. That There's this thing as Christians, and sometimes we forget, you and I are addicted to grace. It is something that we just can't even, we we can't get enough of it. We constantly go back to God. We ask for forgiveness. And we are just, it is our fuel system as Christians. And when we go to love others, if you're like me, you have a what? You have a grace tank. You're like, all right, I think I should be this gracious. I'll help them. All right, now they're getting annoying. Okay, now boundaries and, you know, we have all this stuff that we, we, we kind of put in here and here and here. And we, I believe, as Christians, by loving our neighbor, have to believe that I need to give more grace than I think I should. My wife is tremendous at this. She helps me out a ton. Hey, I'm done with them. I'm cutting them off. I'm writing them off. They, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, hey, I need to ask myself the question, when I approach God and I want God, to, if I'm supposed to love them as myself, I probably should give more than I think I should. Number three, and this is my favorite one, and you know why. Stop trying to make someone like Jesus before they know Jesus. Oh, my gosh, help us. As Christians, we struggle here because we believe in loving our neighbor. We're trying to make someone like Christ before they actually have them has a relationship with God. We want to change them, change their belief system, do X, Y, and Z. We want to do things in order to make them more like us. And I've shared this story in here before if you've been around, but I'll share it again. Uh, I was in a basketball league couple uh, years ago, and in the league, there was one guy on the other team, and I mean, uh, he probably didn't know it was a church league, and so he was there, but verbally, you knew he didn't know it was a church league, just, you know, he was letting us know, and, uh, you know, he's kind of going to the lane through the legs, you know, blankety, blank, 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 and there was some guy on our team that felt called by God to let him know that he's got to leave, to let him know that, hey, if you're around me, this is the standard you will meet. And, I mean, I wasn't like Christ in my response to that guy, but I had to let him know, hey, that's, that's why we exist, to be around people who need Christ. That's why we are here. So that, that, and, and I got to talk to the guy afterwards. He had no idea this was a thing. It just kind of showed up. And um, it is one of those things as Christians we really could get better at. Don't try and make people like Christ before they actually have a relationship with him. And number four, ask, what can I do? Do for them. In Galatians 5, 6, it talks about faith working through love. And I think it was Andy Stanley who said, When I don't know what to say, when I don't know what to do, I ask myself, What does love require of you? When I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. I disagree with them on everything political you can imagine. I disagree with them on every kind of thought about life. I don't think this is right. I think this is wrong. I don't know what to do here. In loving our neighbor, we don't just think, all right, maybe I'll think differently. No, no, no. It's an action. It produces what can I do for them? What can I do? God, what would you put in front of me? And the sweet thing about this passage and this reality in Matthew 22, when it talks about loving God and loving our neighbor, you're in here, and there's been, there's two things that have happened to you. Number one, you know someone who has not loved you as they should have as a Christian. Man, you got stories. You even doubt their salvation because they aren't that loving. You doubt this, and maybe it was a family member. You kind of doubt these things because they were not loving to you. And as a church, obviously, we fail epically at this all the time. We just, it's two steps forward, one step back. We, we seek to grow, but everyone's had an experience where you would say, that person has not loved me as they ought to. And then the other side, you would look at this and you would say, man, I have not loved God as I have ought to. I haven't loved my neighbor as I should have. And in the midst of us failing to love God, in the midst of me failing to love my neighbor like I do all the time, Jesus comes. In John 15, 13, it says this. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, hey, I know you can't do this. I know you can't keep the law and the prophets. And if you failed one, you failed them all. And he says, because you can't do this, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take your place. I'm gonna live a perfect life that you can't live. I'm gonna love God. I'm gonna love neighbor perfectly so that because you can't, you would come to me that you would understand that in the midst and I'll use this phrase because I believe it's true when we are unlovable God loves you when you have wronged him in every way when I have wronged him in every way when we are sinners while we were yet sinners while we were unlovable Christ comes and stands in the gap and he says I will go for you and do for you what you cannot do and in that God initiates love and sends love so that we can have relationship with him. And it is possible that we can love God by loving our neighbor. Let me pray for you guys. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we get to be here. God, I am reminded of 1 Corinthians 13 that may... I, may we not be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal and have not love. Would we not be resentful? Would we not be quick-tempered? Would we not be irritable? God, would we be kind and patient, long-bearing? And God, would we understand that love is not just a feeling or an emotion, but it's an action, and that's where Christ sacrificed for us and did what we could not do. God, we love you, we thank you for this morning, and thank you that we get to be here. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you guys for being here with us this morning. You are dismissed. Good morning, and Maranatha.